Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome along to the Slacktivist Action Group, the action group for slackers, which is why you're all sat down and I shall be for most of the show. Basically, the Slacktivist Action Group, we like to, to get excited on a monthly basis. This is going to be the last of the current run, ladies and gentlemen. It's lovely to hear that, that note of non-existent disappointment. <laughs> A bunch of sold-out sold out slackers that who are slightly after the event giving a less-than-heartfelt feeling <laughs> of disappointment. But yes, I shall be going uh, after this show, in fact. I shall be taking a spot of paternity leave. Ladies and gentlemen, thank, you, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I was actually I'm going to be a bit late taking the paternity leave because my, my daughter's already two and a half months old. But it should be no surprise that I'm late with my paternity leave because uh, I was also late for the birth. But on the plus side, I was early for the conception. So, <laughs> swings and roundabouts, ladies and gentlemen, swings and roundabouts. But yes, I was on tour in Jersey. I got called five o'clock, I was in this hotel, five o'clock in the morning for my wife, I'm in hospital, I'm having contractions. I said, right, I'm on my way, I said... Found out when the earliest flight out of Jersey was 7.30 in the morning, rushed to the airport, got on the flight, got to Gatwick, got the car, rushed to the hospital, missed the birth by about three hours. <laughs> Wasn't even close, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely gutted I was, because it was a bloody lovely hotel in Jersey. <laughs> oh. But yes, you do wonder, you do wonder about the world that you're bringing a child into. We started this, the Slacktivist Action Group, two and a half years ago. Started off as uh, five years, you know, into austerity. Still had a coalition government general election coming out. It seemed like a good time to be getting more involved. David Cameron was the prime minister. Nick Clegg, the deputy prime minister, and Theresa May was just a very unremarkable home secretary who didn't seem to say very much. And we assumed she didn't say very much because she was quiet but tough. And now, of course, we've learned that the reason she didn't say very much was when she had to think of more to say. It was shit. (laughs) As an example, she was supposed to be doing a reshuffle a couple of weeks ago, wasn't she? Jeremy Hunt was supposed to be reshuffled because he'd fucked up the NHS. And he went in to the meeting to be reshuffled, came out. Not only was he still looking after the NHS, he'd been given social care as well. Presumably the theory was that social care was already fucked up, so he couldn't fuck that up as well. I think he probably can... 
They're obviously hoping that if they amalgamate the NHS and social care, a fuck-up with a fuck-up, it'll hopefully add up to less than two fuck-ups. But my guess is if you've got a fuck-up doing the fuck-up with the fuck-up, it could well add up to fuck-up squared. That... <laughs> Thank you very much. It appears to have divided my slacktivist audience into one person and everybody else. But then... I've maybe misjudged this audience. But if you look at the opinion polls at the moment, it may be just your, some of you waiting to get on board as slacktivists. You're not quite sure which way to go. Labour at the moment, supposedly, only 1%. 1% ahead of the Conservatives. And you think, given the mess that the Conservatives are in, that is a surprise. And obviously, Labour have been on their own journey, haven't they? They started, obviously, new Labour. And then, more recently, we've obviously had the, the sort of the election within Labour of, of sort of new old Labour, quite arguably with a, with a bit of old, old Labour as well. And then there was a resurgence, wasn't there, of new Labour within the Parliamentary Labour Party, uh, you know, sort of a new, new Labour, and they had a vote of no confidence in new old Labour, but new old Labour prevailed, didn't they? But new old Labour, and they've now got to look out for apparently Trotskyists trying to infiltrate them, the sort of old, old, old Labour. <laughs> and then we've got momentum as well, sort of, you know, new old, old Labour. Then Tony Blair's back on the scene, new old, new Labour. David Miliband's kicking around, young, new, old, new Labour, who's supposedly forming some sort of breakaway party, young, very new, not old and not Labour. So, it's a confusing state of affairs, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? It's confusing. And it's equally confusing to know exactly what's going on with the Labour position on Brexit. Apparently, a third of all Labour pro-Brexit voters actually convinced that Labour is pro-Brexit, and a third of all Labour anti-Brexit votes actually convinced Labour is anti-Brexit. And, of course, Corbyn traditionally was pro-Brexit, then for the referendum was anti-Brexit, now he's pro-Brexit again, although he hasn't ruled out the possibility of being anti-Brexit, depending on how Brexit goes. Coupled with this, last week on the television, he was saying that regardless of what happens, we're bound to be part of some sort of customs union. And he said that you can't leave the EU and be part of the single market. And given it may become now more obvious why some people think he's anti-Brexit, other people think he's pro-Brexit, because the truth of the matter seems to be he doesn't really fucking understand Brexit at all. (laughs) It seems a tragedy, doesn't it? They're saying this is the biggest decision for 40 years. And you're thinking, well, if this is the biggest decision for 40 years, it, it is a shame that the largest group of the British population that voted for Brexit were the over 65s, the group who won't actually be around in 40 years' time. The difference between leave and remain, 1.2 million votes. 600,000 people in Britain die each year on average. It's now been two years since the referendum. <laughs> Even if absolutely nobody has decided to vote the other way, it could be neck and neck right now. And, and the overwhelming theme is not maybe that people have changed their, their views on Brexit. The overwhelming feeling seems to be that people are bored of Brexit. But, of course, the only reason people are bored of Brexit is because it is actually happening. If it wasn't happening nobody would be talking about it at all. So if there is a second referendum, vote remain, never hear the word Brexit again, could be an incredibly powerful slogan. (laughs) Because people with the general consensus, isn't it, is that people were lied to during 
during the referendum. But you're thinking if both sides lie during the referendum, the general feeling must be then that we actually know that much more about it now, and therefore a second referendum would seem a reasonable idea. But even now, you can tune into like question time most weeks, and there always seems to be one person in the audience who goes, How come we haven't left yet? Anything, it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that people are interested enough in current affairs to bother to get themselves a ticket for a current affairs show. They're interested enough in current affairs to turn up to that show and to ask a question on that show, but not interested enough in current affairs to find the answer to a question that they could do in one second on the internet. And I think presumably what happens is they, they think, oh, they get excited in the moment, everybody else is asking a question, oh, I'm going to ask a question. Oh, no, I've made an ass of myself on national television. If I continue like this, they'll make me the Secretary of State for Brexit or Foreign Secretary. My work here is done, ladies and gentlemen. Would you please welcome our guests, David Lammy MP, Suzanne Moore and Josh Widdicombe. Thank you very much. Thank you. And, and uh, welcome. This is, this is our Slacktivist Action Group, David, Suzanne, Josh. And we'd like to start off, if that's all right with everybody, we just uh, we try and bond with our, our, our action group, give them some, uh, something about ourselves that in an ideal world, we're a bit slack at the moment, but in an ideal world, we'd, we'd be less slack at. Josh, do you, do you have yes. something that you can offer to the group? I had something else, but I've had a situation occur today. Yes, so this you, you had something that you were going to be slack about, and then you, you thought, fuck it, I'm, I'm going to be slack about that original yeah. idea. Yeah, I've I'm got a new idea. Uh, yeah, I can't be bothered with that. No, this, <laughs> this is a live slack event that's ongoing. I don't want to talk to my neighbours. And we're having a bit of our garden done today, and I thought, well, I don't need to tell them. And then, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right to intake breath. <laughs> because that, that, that's, that's, that's a whole lot of slacktivists showing sheer horror. Just there. What could possibly go wrong? I came downstairs and he'd pulled down the fence between our houses and he was in their garden cutting away at their ivy. <laughs> Basically, I felt like they were going to come home and it was going to be like ground force. But Did, Were you tempted to say to them, who's that bloke in your garden? Why is he taking down my fence? <laughs> You've solved the problem. <laughs> No, I got him back in, right, like he was a dog. <laughs> Oi. I had a cup of tea and a cigarette and kind of lured him back in with it. <laughs> uh, no, I've left them a note on the door saying, I'm sorry we knocked down your fence by mistake. He said it was rotten. Um, I should have told you we were having some gardening work done. And I've yet to hear from them. So yeah. I'm currently, that's why I was checking my phone constantly in the dressing room. Fine, and you know, I'm sure it's going to work now because now you've obviously told this audience there's no way that this is going to spread as a story, there's no way it's going to well, get. Well, the worry is they obviously haven't got the note yet, so they're out, they could be here. <laughs> Suzanne, what would, what would you like to offer to the group? Oh, I think I'm too slack about being a good feminist sometimes, and I'm just way too nice to men because. Um... <laughs> If, if, you, if you could keep it that way tonight, we'd be grateful. I had a man fixing my computer, upgrading my system, and he said, um, he kept, you know, obviously kept trying to talk to me as those people do, and uh, he said, I've been reading your articles on sexual harassment, Susanna, and, uh, you know, my name's Suzanne, but never mind. Um, and um, I just think all men are tossers, and. Um, I just said I agree. 
And then we just sat there in silence for, for a while. So then I, I felt so terrible that I said, can you connect my printer to my laptop, please? So I think I'm very slack about propping him up. David, what would you like to offer? Well, London's got a problem. Only one problem. And the problem is loads and loads, certainly once you get out of zone one, of chicken shops. Not Kentucky Fried Chicken, Tennessee Fried Chicken, Kansas Fried Chicken. And sadly, I've probably been to every single one of those shops. (laughs) I am slack about, oh, I'm just going to get those six little bits for, you know, 99 pence. So that's, that's what I'm slack about. And hence, I have a slight girth. (laughs) <laughs> and which, which is the, your favourite of those Dallas fried chicken I've seen? Kentucky is the best, but it is a little bit expensive. This started as an addiction when I was very young. I worked in Kentucky fried chicken, age 16, on Tottenham High Road, and it obviously seeped into... Now, I'd have presumed so. seeing the process would be the, <laughs> the way that you would solve the addiction. I know, all that oil, just, you know, I loved it. (laughs) And actually, let me tell you a little trick. They have these mystery shoppers, you know, that go in... For Kentucky Fried Chicken? Yeah. Yeah. And the mystery shopper pretends to be a shopper, you know, orders whatever, two pieces and fries, and then takes it out and checks the temperature, has it got enough salt, all the rest of it. So sometimes... Don't tell anyone. I have been found to pretend that I am a mystery shopper. <laughs> so We're all going to be trying that trick that's now, how aren't we? Slack, I am. <laughs> so, sorry. Got to, am I allowed supplementary questions? Yes, certainly. Yes, because <laughs> I've got about forty-five of them. <laughs> so, how do you pretend to be a mystery shopper? Do you get out a clipboard? No, just, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I tend to be wearing a suit, so you yeah. look a bit smart. You look like you... Get out your thermometer, sort of, I guess, you know, when the chips are served. <laughs> you know, you, start sticking you, you it know, in. You just sort of ask about the chicken in a certain way. Right. Uh, can I have a... Th- you're specific. You look authoritative. And you watch the t- staff panic yeah. as they fill your... You know, with loads of chips. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. How, how did you lose your job at KFC? Daily Mail headline tomorrow. Yeah. David Lammy. Gets free chips. <laughs> Scrounging Tottenham MP. <laughs> and claims it on expenses. <laughs> <laughs> I don't claim on expenses, by the way. Emphasise that. Never claim food ever. Just checking. <laughs> so, David, we, we were talking in the intro. We were talking about uh, Brexit. You, you are on, on Remain. Seventy-five percent of your constituency in Tottenham voted Remain. David Davis. We have negotiations starting again next month. All of the negotiations we've had so far. So far, we haven't seemed to win any of the negotiations, arguably. And people were saying, "Oh, David Davis, he, he couldn't negotiate his way out of a paper bag." It is my theory that that's harsh, that he could negotiate his way out of a paper bag, but when he came out of the paper bag, that he wouldn't have his wallet or his clothes (laughs) or his phone because the paper bag would have out-negotiated him. (laughs) The emperor has no clothes. I mean, look, I was the first MP after the referendum, and I have stuck consistently to this position 
Others have joined me in the Labour Party, but I'm absolutely clear. This is madness. It's insane in the brain. Uh, it, it, it harks back to an idea that is long gone. Um, pulling out of the single market will hurt my constituents. Pulling out of the customs union will hurt my constituents. I like Europe. I don't have a problem with pooling sovereignty. I am determined to defend that and to say, quite frankly, that most of this debate at the core is about a fear of the other. It's about immigration. And there's no way, looking like me and thinking of my parents coming to this country, that I'm not going to fight that, I'm not going to swear, really hard. (laughs) (laughs) And we, we, We had David Davis on this show. And this was about two days before he was made Secretary of State for Brexit. And he said, oh, well, now we've had the referendum result. He said, you know, we'll be getting trade deals with other countries within 12 to 24 months. And this was, this was thrown back at him recently. And it, we've now had almost 24 months. And we've got no trade deals because you can't do any trade deals until you leave the EU. And he says, oh, well, now he's saying the facts have changed. The facts are exactly the same as they were. He just didn't have a clue what they were when he you know, got the job. David Day is one of those politics. He just makes it up as he goes along. And, you know, there is this type of Tory that... To just make it up. And because they're a little bit patrician, and because they've been to certain kinds of school, maybe they can kind of get away with it. But it's, it's, it's complete guff. And, it's, and by the way, when we go to negotiate a deal with the Indians, because we've sold all these people, um, you know... There are a lot of people who voted leave, and I think when they voted leave, they actually meant, because that's how it felt the next day, you know, people said to me, hang on a minute, we voted leave, and you're still here. We, we want your type to leave. Um, when we go to negotiate that deal with the Indians, what's the first thing they're going to ask for, Mr David Davis? They're going to ask for a visas for their people. So, the, so you promise people that immigration would fall. You might be trading Eastern European, but there'll be many more Indians coming to the UK soon because of David Davis. So the whole thing intellectually is incoherent. I tried to push him on these impact statements that he blagged they'd done. And then we see these impact statements, and literally they were kind of, you know, you could, you could get them on Google. They were so hobbled together, which is really well, alarming. He, he, hadn't, he, hadn't, done, he hadn't done the impact he, assessments. He'd done sexual analysis. And then you saying, oh, I haven't done the actual impact assessments I said I had done. But surely any decent sort of analysis of a sector has some sort of an assessment of an impact within it. <laughs> Well, he may have done some sexual analysis, but he's not done sectoral analysis, that's for sure. He's, he's, not, done, he's not done the job that is necessary. He, he, the, the, I, 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 you know, they take you into a private room to look at these documents, um, and all of us that were asking for them, I mean, literally, this was, this was barely A-level stuff. Um, so you should be very, very worried indeed, guys. Well, I mean, it, also, I mean, it, it looks now, you know, questions of the Irish borders, obviously all the different talk about hard Brexit or soft Brexit. With soft Brexit, arguably, it's, you, you're still going to be part of the customs union, so you, you're not going to be able to do your own trade deal, so you haven't taken back control in that sense, but you have 
you've, you're no longer going to have any votes, so you've lost what control you had. Arguably, with soft Brexit, it's the worst of all worlds. You've taken back less control, haven't you? Yeah, well, I suppose the best deal now might be that we sort of end up in the single market, but with actually no voting rights at all. But the worrying thing is, of course, that the real leader of the Conservative Party is not Theresa May or David Davis or um, Boris. It's Rhys Mogg. Um, it's Ian Duncan Smith. Um, it's these guys on the fringes that are hard, hard Brexiters. Um, bang on and on about sovereignty. Bang on and on about this imperial past that we're going to rediscover. Who are running the show? And Suzanne, you, you've written in, in the Guardian about Jeremy Corbyn wouldn't be with Brexit. He wouldn't be able to do one of his policies if, if Brexit occurs. He, even his suggestion of four extra bank holidays a year. If we, you know, if the economy's struggling, even things like that, he's he's not going to be able to do. No, and I mean, there's a contradiction, isn't there? Because we all suspect that Corbyn actually is pretty Brexity. I mean, traditionally, historically, he's a Benite, and they were for uh, leaving Europe. So uh, this is where Labour is so sort of hamstrung at the moment. Um, I don't know how much when voters realise quite how that part of the Labour Party is going to go along with all this. And there is not going to... I don't, I don't think that there's... I think there's an appetite amongst Remainers for the second referendum, but I just don't see as either Labour wanting it or the Tories wanting it, so I just don't think it's going well, to happen. Well, Nigel Farage, he, he was saying he, he, was, <laughs> he, was, he was up for a second one, so, uh, and all the Remainers were going, OK, bring it on, bring it on, weren't they? Well, I mean, it's, that's just really peculiar, isn't it, because he isn't actually, uh, doesn't represent UKIP anymore. I mean, who does Nigel Farage represent? I mean, The Politburo, maybe? <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know, what well, does Henry he, Bolton want? He's, he's supposed to be forming a new party, isn't he? Because he doesn't want all the baggage of UKIP. But you're thinking, well, who attracted the baggage to UKIP in the first place? Josh, well, you, you're a I, quiet I, I, th- I, th- I think Brexit's gone well. No. <laughs> I was just trying to add some positivity, guys. <laughs> I enjoyed the first referendum. I fancy a second one. Let's enjoy ourselves. But you, you know, you, you're, a, you, you're a Remain voter. You're saying that you... you do you know that? Yes, I do know that. Well, you're correct, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you wrote it in a Guardian article. That's Did how... I? Yes. Yeah. Who yeah. thought to ask me that? No one needs to know that. But, um, but you were saying that you, you, you sort of do jokes on the news rather than political jokes that so you see mm. yourself more in that, in that vein. But given that you can get worked up about contactless debit cards, surely you can get quite angry about Brexit. I think on day-to-day, you don't realise how annoying contactless debit cards are. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't get... I get, I get bored of Brexit. I think we're all bored. I think that's the problem. It's, it's, it's very, very important, but it's very, very tedious. You know, who sees Brexit in a headline um, and, and thinks, I'm going to read that? <laughs> when you can click on sport. <laughs> Like, I think that's the problem, is that, you know, we all know it's important, but you get snowblind to it. How, how long ago was the referendum? 18 months ago? Yeah. And it's been the, it's been the main story, apart from Donald Trump. So, well, which and is, now, which Do- is uh, uh, amazingly a bit of light relief. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but now Donald Trump is talking about Brexit. Oh, fuck, even he's gone boring. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I, I think... I, I think we find... I think there's a combination of 
find it quite tedious to read about and so deep and like you know we had this referendum that we all voted on not really understanding and now you know it's we've got to this point where the more you read about it the less you understand if as a kind of layman is that a lyric from a song sounds like it should be yeah no i just i just think the more you read about it you don't feel like you get a handle on it and also it just feels depressing and like just hammering you and hammering you and David, as someone who can do something about it, you know, it's good for him to get angry. He, I can't do anything about it, Andy. Well, you can because I'm. Mean, I? Well, the politicians are basically saying until we have enough people saying, you know, we want a second referendum, we're not going to have a second referendum. So it's basically they're saying, you know, we've had loads of I'll politicians. I'll go on record now. I want a second referendum now. There we go. You, there you, we go. you can concentrate on sport now. It's absolutely fine. You can, you can move on. But with, with Trump, you've, you've gone on record, David, as saying that you didn't want him in your city, you didn't want him in your country. Two weeks ago, he said there's going to be protests. I'm not coming to Britain on a visit. Theresa May meets him in, in Davos last week. He's now coming to Britain, supposedly in the summer. What on earth is she playing at? We, he said he wasn't coming. Now he is again. Where do we start with Trump? Oh, my God, where do we start so with It's him? astonishing that that is the one thing she's actually achieved. <laughs> <laughs> Holding his hand. Um, you know, she's got a friend, basically, the only one. Uh, look, he, he and she, I think, yeah, uh, look, uh, he's a sleazeball. He, he, you know, he is. He's a, he's a nasty, nasty piece of work. I actually think he's a narcissist. Occasionally in politics, uh, you know, politics attracts all sorts. And, of course, we're a little bit vain, uh, is a characteristic of most politicians. But occasionally, a narcissist comes along who cares entirely about themselves. And um, if you think of all the headlines, everything comes back to Trump. I mean, I just feel sorry for the American... There's no discussion of... Policy, big issues, what we do about schools, what we do educa- about, about health, or you know, it's all about him. He's a narcissist. He is mean. Uh, he's a misogynist, um, and actually, he's a racist. And it's really important that we call these people out for, for for who they are and what they are. So I have said I will protest. I will march. I hope others join me. Um, he is taking the world in a very scary direction, and I find it sick that people are appeasing this bullshit. He was saying that you know he wasn't coming because there was massive protests that were planned. We had had massive protests, you know, about various things, the Trump ban and stuff like that. And you're thinking, well, now that he supposedly is coming, isn't it worth having a protest before he comes, having a massive protest there? Show him how big a protest he's going to get when he does come, and hopefully it may put him off from actually coming anyway. We can protest and not have him. I mean, he'll, he, he likes the theatre. I mean, I get these emails from people because I've been so um, clear about the protests, explaining how they're going to protest. And I have to say, the vast majority of the emails suggest that people are going to be mooning quite a lot when he, <laughs> when he arrives. So that's, that's giving a mixed message, that, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to be a hell of a protest. <laughs> To someone who will just touch anything that <laughs> is down there. Yeah, turning your back and doing a Mooney on Trump is, is not necessarily to be advised. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, David, you, you've also been given, Theresa May's given you a job. You had been chairing a review into uh, black and ethnic minorities in the criminal justice system. Came out in the autumn, the Lamy Review. One of your conclusions, I believe, was that although... Black and ethnic minorities on the whole offend uh, much the same comparable to equivalent white people that they were more likely to be stopped, more likely to be charged and more likely, if charged, to be found guilty. And obviously Theresa May had got involved saying that stop and search needed to be more intelligence-led. As I understand it, before she got involved, the statistics were that you were four times more likely to be stopped if you were black after her intervention, the, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Statistics came back; it was like six times. Yeah. So, so yeah. something is badly wrong. Something is badly wrong, and actually, what's really scary is that our youth prison population. These are, and we say youth, and youth's a bit of a euphemism because we don't tend to call kids at Oxford or Cambridge youth, do we? So, you know, even there, uh, in lies a problem. Um, but forty-one percent of our youth prisons now come from an ethnic minority background. Um, so it starts with stop and search. Um, and, you know, there are perennial issues with who are our police and why do they routinely stop the average kid walking down um, Mare Street in Hackney. And I've said this before, but, you know, let's just let's have a little thought experiment. Can you close your eyes and imagine somewhere in a university campus town there is a young student smoking a joint. I don't think anyone in the room thinks that's unlikely. Um, There might even be a professor having a joint as well. The police are nowhere in sight and actually if you call the police people will think you're wasting their time. Now imagine another young man, he looks slightly different, walking down Brixton High Road, and he's doing the same thing. He's going to get a criminal record. He's not going to get a job after he's served time. Uh, He's going to go into crime as a consequence of that. 
and the taxpayer is going to pick up the bill. And that was what I was trying to get at at the heart of this review. The, the other end of the spectrum, which I raised for the first time, are who are our judges? During that big court case, the Brexit court case, if you remember, when you got a sight of the Supreme Court, how many women were in the Supreme Court? One! So not a diverse bunch are judges. And I think that's a real issue, that we've got towns like Leicester, Birmingham, Manchester, Crown Court, and not an ethnic minority judge in sight. Well, you were suggesting that we should have targets for our judiciary, for magistrates, and the government said, oh, no, we don't need targets. Actually, if you look at judges and magistrates under 40, they show a much more diverse background. But we have so few judges and magistrates who are under 40. So they have effectively set a target. They said, oh, it's going to work through the system naturally. But 35 years is too long to wait for us to get a judiciary that reflects the general population. And there are loads of ethnic minorities who are barristers who are in their 50s who could be judges. And many of them apply, but they don't get through. Um, I actually could have called for quotas. But instead, I thought, let's go for time. Because targets have no power. They're just a goal. And even that they rejected. So basically, the government went with the status quo. Um, and the status quo, guys, is Eton to Oxford um, to Lincoln's Inn um, and then to the judiciary. Basically. And you were also making the point last week in the House about joint enterprise. The idea that people can be convicted of murder... Um, because they're part of a gang, they weren't actually there at the scene of the murder or what have you. And you were making the point that a group of black youths regarded as gangs, but you know, in the same way we never think of the Bullingdon Club, we don't call that a gang. And uh, the President's Club, as was, <laughs> equally a gang, but again, not described as a gang. Yeah, I mean, so this is really, really nasty. Um, you know, again, some in your audience remember that juvenile thing of, you know, we're going to get that guy. There's a group of you who are going to get that guy. Now, very sadly, that happens. There's, there's a group of kids, um, and one complete nutter takes a knife and stabs that child, right? There may be many other kids caught up in that. When they said get, they didn't mean go and knife. Or they may have been in the park, the police arrived, they round them all up, and we've got kids now as young as 14 going to prison for murder on this joint enterprise thing. And my point is we've just got to be really careful about how we're using this term gang, because gang's coming to mean the same kids that hang out on the same estate. And why I use the Bullingdon Club example is because when a bunch of Etonians... And Harrovians, is that what they call them, the Harrow lot? Um, at um, Oxford, smash up a place. They don't describe that as a gang. That, that's, a, that's a club. Um, so I just think that we've got to, you know, challenge a bit this very loose term that means that you can be put on a gang's matrix, which, you know, you can be tagged as being on a gang. You can, you don't, it's not clear how you can come off that. You can, you can go down for murder because you're on the periphery of something that went terrible. Uh, and kind of there's a sense in the sort of community that I represent that people don't care, they don't question this. There's a one law for you and another law for somebody else. And Suzanne, you've been writing about the, the President's Club for The Guardian. We had the... Uh 
Nadim Zahawi, he was the, he's the Minister for Children and Families, attended, very keen to point out that he was only attending in a personal capacity, quite, quite why that made any difference whatsoever. <laughs> you know, officially, he obviously, he'd, he'd never have anything to do with a bunch of unsavoury sexists, but on, on a personal level, you know, <laughs> m- more than happy. Well, I mean, he didn't see anything. He left early. I think nearly everybody there appears to have left early. Yeah, got so, upstairs. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, it, it was an amazing story, wasn't it? Because this um, club has been going for 33 years. Um, so it was just a brilliant piece of journalism from the FT to, to send, send somebody in. Because some of these, uh, you know, the 19-year-olds who have to have a man get his penis out while they're having, you know, dinner, have seen all this stuff before, but have signed non-disclosure agreements. And what's coming out now is that none of these, with all these sexual harassment cases, all these non-disclosure agreements, even the one that Harvey Weinstein made people sign, are kind of not worth the, the, uh, the paper they're written on, but they're very, very frightening. They're very frightening to people, and we've really got to question, why, if you send somebody to be a hostess, would they have to sign a non-disclosure agreement? I mean, what, what do they think is going to happen? So clearly they've had incidents in the past, and I think it's just fantastic that um, this stuff is coming out because everybody has sort of talked about it for a long time, but they haven't quite nailed it. And and now there's a real questioning of what these what a men only event is because well, that's right because you were saying that they left early you know saying yeah. oh we, we didn't see any of this sexist behaviour we left early yes. but it's a men only event where they had young hostesses who'd been told to wear sexy black shoes and matching black underwear yes. it was already sexist for, for whether charity. it was early or, or late while they're shown pictures of children in intensive care uh, to give money to charity I mean how do these things operate it's, it's it's bizarre, isn't it? Oh, I had a good night. No, I'm just, <laughs> just thought I'd provide a counterpoint. No, it's awful. <laughs> no, it is. It is. It is. A- another counterpoint. <laughs> the auction, the auction prizes to which people like so Boris Johnson was lunch with Boris Johnson, but he claimed he had no knowledge that this was oh, yes. tea with Mark Carney. Mm. Who is bidding on that? <laughs> oh, tea with your bank manager. Great fun. And uh, plastic surgery, wasn't plastic it? Surgery. To spice up your wife. Spice up your wife. No, do you know what? It wasn't even spice up your wife. It was make your wife more spicy. They even missed the pun. That's not... <laughs> <laughs> But in terms of uh, how far we have to go in terms of, of, you know, sexual harassment, I was unaware until last week that uh, upskirting, this idea of taking a picture up somebody's skirt, was not illegal in this country. I'd always assumed that that must be illegal. But apparently um, it's not illegal in this country. It depends on how graphic the photo taken is. Is There was a woman at a festival. She caught somebody taking a photo up her skirt, and so she tried to get the police to prosecute, and they said, well, um, I'm afraid it's not graphic enough. It won't fit within the Sexual Offences Act. If you had no knickers on, it might have been different. It is absolutely scandalous. You should be able to do something about it, regardless of whether you've remembered to put your pants on or not. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not up to women to alter their behaviour. It's up to men to alter their behaviour, isn't it? And that's what you want uh, you know, policy to be about, police to be about, and just a wider awareness of, 
I mean, everyone keeps talking about these sort of the grey area, you know. The, oh, it's all difficult. Um, every time you see a right-wing person, uh, although, I mean, there are those terrible women who always go out on telly and say, oh, it's only, a, you know, a hand on the knee. We would just kick him in the bollocks and we had it when we were 20 and what are young women complaining about? But it's, it's got to be uh, an awareness that this behaviour is not acceptable. And the, and the other idea is that somehow no one really knows the difference between flirting and, yes, taking a picture up your skirt, you know. I mean, we do all know the difference because it's, you know, it's about consent. And you know if you smile at someone and they smile back. Smile back. You know, I think, I think this idea that men really don't know that they are intimidating women is just complete crap. I think they know. I think they get off on it. And I think it should stop. <laughs> And you, you were making the point that you were enjoying Shane Lynch on Celebrity Big Brother I from was. Boyzone because he'd it. said consent was sexy. And obviously yes. Boyzone not necessarily noted for the incisiveness of their lyrics. <laughs> L- love me for a reason and that, that reason be love. But um, <laughs> To be but, fair, he, it was a cover of something Cat Stevens had said, I imagine. <laughs> but it, it, I was even more surprised to find out, Suzanne, that you were actually watching Celebrity Big Brother. That was, that was more... You, are you a big fan? Big fan of Celebrity Big Brother? Well, you know, I, I have to investigate popular culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I was writing an article. I was writing an article. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I have... It's strange, isn't it, what you do to switch off? I love that man who does a programme about sheds. Well, Shed of the year. I love that. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you should well, see I'll... some of those sheds. I've that been a bit, is why I'm... You are. I've been a bit slack about watching Shed of the Year. I'm, I need to get on There's board. always next year, Andy. There's always next yeah. year. David, you, you managed to quote Stormzy in the House of Commons. How did, how did that go down? I should imagine the, the average uh, older Conservative MP, Stormzy, he had no, no idea what you were talking about. It's a storm. No, I think it went over their heads. Um, I don't want to be down with the kids. It's so sort of... But there is a popular culture that is all around me in Tottenham. Tottenham's the kind of place that is often at the forefront of this stuff and you kind of pick it up. And you also, I really, really love the fact that even though um, baby boomers have screwed up the world, <laughs> heated it up, bankrupted it, um, there are these millennials, their kids coming along, who are great and actually... Um, People like Stormzy ask, you know, really political tracks and, you know, that sort of speaks to me. So you kind of hear this stuff, I guess, and sometimes it sort of comes into what I say by accident. You, Suzanne, you actually stood, stood for election, 2010. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. No, I was having a bit of an anarchist moment. I was really frustrated by the, the idea that, um, you know, if you, if you live in a safe seat, your vote sort of is... One vote is like... or 0.006% or something. I would really like a system of proportional representation. Uh, I think that nothing really will change until we have that. Um, But you were saying the reason you wanted to stand, you stood, uh, was it Harringay? Was that where you stood? Hackney. Mm -hmm. And um, you were saying that you wanted to stand... Harringay against me. Was it? (laughs) (laughs) When did you stand? I missed that. Yeah, no, it was a three-week campaign. It was just a kind of... I just thought... As a councillor? No, it was against Diane, yeah. She was lovely Did to me. Yeah. But you said you wanted to see if you could be yourself. Sisterhood. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned this. It's all kicking off up here. Um, but uh, 
But you said you wanted to see if you could be yourself and and. Yes, I was really sick of the, you know, I mean, I don't do it anymore, but I had spent a lot of time at Westminster. I was really sick of politicians. Sorry, David. Um, I was really, really uh, (laughs) sick of people presenting themselves in a particular way of, uh, of, you know, largely false, really. Also... um, the things I mean, one of the things I learned when I when I was standing is the things that people ask their MP to do are not things that MPs can do most of the time. So you get people, you know, coming up and saying, "Oh, do something about the Taliban," and then someone else says, "What about the parking?" And you know, it, this is a sort of strange. I, I like of... to ask my MP if you can get me a couple of freebies from KFC. And that I can do. You know, well, people said things like. Um, are you for or against assisted suicide? And if you go, you're totally for it, yeah, OK, I'm going to vote for you. You know, it's just the strange... How many votes did you get? Oh, well, just a few hundred. Only Still good, that's weeks. good. That's good, hundred a week. No, no, I had no money. I mean, I also wanted to know if, you know, the democratic process kind of works. What, what you need... I mean, you need £500. You need, uh, you need to register. You need an agent. You know, how does it work? But given that you said that you wanted to be more yourself, we now have politicians like Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage who arguably are more themselves. In in some ways, don't we want politicians to be less of themselves (laughs) in in, in some ways? I mean, you, Josh... Would you you have... Was there... You must have been there on results night, all stood at the back. Was there part of... It was a very... uh, Yeah, I wasn't actually there for the final count because it just took too long. (laughs) (laughs) Shit, if the year was on... (laughs) I'm glad you had commitment, that's the main thing. Yeah. Imagine if you'd won and you hadn't been there. What a moment it would have been. <laughs> Diane Abbott can do my speech for me. <laughs> but you, you've, you've, on, on the last leg, Josh, you've had... Uh, you had We've had Corbyn, Miliband. Miliband twice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they, people have said to them, oh, why, why weren't you like this more at the election or whatever? Yeah, well, definitely with Miliband and, and Clegg. You know, Nick Clegg was the first one who came on. It was just before whatever that election was, was that, 2015? Yeah. And I think he basically thought, I've got nothing to lose. And he did really well, we thought. But it turns out going on the last leg has absolutely no impact (laughs) on how you're perceived. But Jeremy Corbyn came on and he dressed as a a kind of pimped-up rapper. That's right, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) which we didn't... You know when you're like, we'll ask him, he's not going to do it. And he did it. And then Ed Miliband came. Ed Miliband came on and dressed up as Father Christmas, uh, Christmas. And we've had Ed Balls do Gangnam Style. And you do think these people could have been our government? Uh, <laughs> so you didn't respect them anymore for doing what you asked them to do. You were quite surprised. I'd say, have any of you seen Ed Balls do Gangnam Style in the flesh? It's one of the most brilliant. I, I, this isn't even a joke. I watched him do Gangnam Style. And I was like, this is really good. <laughs> I much prefer him as a dancer. <laughs> All of those years when he was playing football for the politicians and we had to do spot the ball or mock the weekend, it was oh. always up there, balls his jumper. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's good because they do come on and they, they show a human side. And I don't see, you know, if they are human people, that's a good thing. If they, of if you, they're human people. Well, I know, I was about... Are. I was about to bring up Donald Trump. <laughs> OK, right, he's not human. <laughs> no, but that's what I mean. That, but, but people don't perceive them as that, do you know? And 
it can go the other way because I, I think Theresa May's appearance on the one show when she just there was one of the kind of for me the defining moments during the election when she just came across as totally kind of kind of emotionless and out of touch with the populace I really think that but boy jobs and girl jobs but in boy some jobs. ways it, it, it was more insightful than most of the other stuff in her just going Brexit means Brexit yeah, Brexit exactly, means Brexit yeah. why did people think it was exciting and extraordinary when she said that she ran through the fields as a young girl. I, I think I, it wasn't I, I exciting I was waiting for something else. I think you know, it was what? just, it kind of, after six weeks of her offering nothing, I think it just kind of summed up the fact that she just couldn't kind of let go or be herself. I well, think it was the was idea was the no, most naughty thing she, she'd ever done in her life. Or is, is there it? a bit that she left out? I don't know. Yeah, well, she's if if it was the most naughty thing, you feel sorry for her husband. That's all... That's all. <laughs> It's, um, I, years ago, I had to have lunch with her, and I mean, it's just you know, as they say, all the warmth of a smoke freezer. Um, it's just uh, there isn't, you know, what you there isn't is, something. Is it else. a case of what you see is what yeah. you get? There's no. I way. mean, I just sat there. I think she was um, Home Secretary at the time, so she had security guys, and you just sort of sit there gazing at them, hoping that they might have to come over to sort of interrupt. Could join in the conversation, yeah, keep um, it going. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And just can I congratulate you? I. Two of my, um, you, I watched you on Question of Sport, festive edition. One of the greatest moments of my life. Oh, if, if you haven't watched it, I don't think it's on iPlayer, but to try and it, when it comes back on or whatever. Oh. Josh, Josh was on one convincingly. You and Ellis James on the festive edition, it was and the moment amazing. where you had to guess how many he was going to get right, and it was like uh, Welsh scorers at the World Cup, and you predicted he was going to get all five right, and he came on, got all five, and it was just. Brilliant television. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. Slightly, they'd recorded already five episodes that day, so me and Ellis were really excited. Phil Tufnell wouldn't shut up about how excited he was about the fact he was about to go to Wagamama's. <laughs> <laughs> Between every round, he'd be going to the other people. 20 minutes to Wagamama's? <laughs> was he going as a mystery shopper? <laughs> But, uh, but it was entirely unfair. Johnny Peacock was on the other team. He, he's, he's in English. It was asked questions about South Africa. Yeah. Ellis, Welsh, asked questions about Wales at a World Cup he'd been to watch Wales for all the games. Well, I tell you when I knew that we were going to win was when beforehand I heard Ellis talking to the producer of the show. And I thought, I don't understand what they're saying. And I realised they were both speaking in Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, this is a fix and I'm on board with it. <laughs> and my, my other favourite bit, the... Um, Taskmaster, champion yes. of champions. We have the champion of champions of Taskmaster here. Um, Thank you. There was basically won, won the first series and then they invited all the champions back. Yeah. Uh, with comedians basically doing tasks. And you now have a life-size statue of Greg Davies without the head. I do. So it's, it's, it's six for eight, but I've asked it uh, to be delivered to... Um, our agents, I said they could have it in the... Um, With the small child that you now have, having I a... Didn't s- want, I didn't want my girlfriend headless- opening the door to a headless Greg Davis. <laughs> I, um, I love Task, but if you haven't seen Taskmaster, I think it's... I, I'm only a guest in it, so I can say this. I think it's the best comedy show of the last ten years on TV. I think it's brilliant. And um, I, I, I was so proud to win it that it is a bit lame. But... My commitment to it is, uh, if you haven't seen it, at one point, we all had to get Greg a gift for £20. And um, in my attempt to win, I've had the word Greg tattooed on my foot. <laughs> Which at the time felt like a necessary thing to win. But now, every time I go to the beach, I'm like, what the fuck was I doing? 
And how did your girlfriend take that? Was that... Uh... I've just kept my socks on for the last two years. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, anybody who would like to ask any member of our, our panel a question. So, uh, I'm desperately that, worried that a constituent's going to ask me about the parking in Harringay. <laughs> um, David Lammy, really like your work on institutional racism in higher education. Ah. Coming from that sort of background, but... Do you think it can change? And if so, what do you think it will take? I think... So I think this is a reference to me giving Oxford and Cambridge a hard time about who gets to go. Uh, And what that work demonstrated is that there are more young people with the surname Smith at Cambridge than there are black students. Um, That the London boroughs of Richmond and Barnet send more kids to... Um, uh, Oxford and Cambridge than the entirety of Manchester, Leeds, Sheffield, Wales and Scotland combined. Um, uh, Two London boroughs. Um, And that in the last seven years, um, the social class one and two, this is the sons of judges and consultants and things, uh, actually has increased at Oxford and Cambridge, not gone the other way. Um, uh, as well as the institutional racism. I, I would say that we're in a place now where we need systemic change. Um, taxpayers fund these institutions, um, give them lots and lots of money in terms of research grants, um, and, you know, it's just, it's just really depressing that in 2018, and it doesn't really matter whether it's a Labour government or a Tory government, you look at the Cabinet... They've all sat, you know, it's the same people who've been to the same institutions and it's sort of stuck and it's entrenched. And I suppose I would say, I want to say as a socialist also, that the rub is the middle classes who send their kids, some of them, not all of them, not, I'm sure many of you, not, you know, to private schools have got, you know, that the deal is that, you know, you, you get a pipeline to the Russell Group. We've got to have a country in which, you know, some people lose and others gain. So I think people are up for systemic change, systemic change. Uh, And that means, you know, allocating places for kids who are on free school meals. You know, in the States, they have a ranking system. If you rank as one or two in Harlem, you get to go to Harvard or Yale. They don't ask you to get the same grades as the kid on the Upper West Side, because they actually know. All of the academic evidence says that if you get straight A's and you were on the 20th floor of Grenfell Tower, you are brighter than Boris, who got an A and two A stars at Eton, because you, know, you, you didn't have anywhere to do your homework and you still got three A's. You know, it's obvious. So we have to... I'm, I'm pushing for systemic change, and I came up with a whole list of things that I think Oxford and Cambridge should do. And, of course... Was one of them targets, or was it quotas? No, no, no. It, was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was... Well, the thing is, they've got all these individual colleges making decisions. That's got to change. It's got to be centralised, so you don't get the variability across institutions. Because there are some great colleges, like Mansfield College, for example, that 60% of the kids come from state schools. But there's a whole lot of... I'm not going to go into all the other things I asked for, but I, I basically... I was lucky enough to go to Harvard um, after I went to um, SOAS here in London, and I could not believe that... The, I, so I went to primary school in Tottenham, 
It was a sort of difficult... It was called Downhills. I don't know why it's called Downhills, but it was a good primary school. Um, easy think, to get to, not so easy to get home from. <laughs> I, then, I then went to a... <laughs> I went to a... I then went to a state boarding school in Peterborough. Um, I then, sort of Billy Elliot moment, but that's another story. I wasn't wearing a tutu, I was wearing, I was a choral scholar, I was wearing a dress. <laughs> um, I then went to SOAS and I went to Harvard. The two most diverse institutions were Harvard and Downhills in Tottenham. And that's why I keep on at this subject. No problem. It was such a, such a good answer and such a good question. We don't have any time oh, you're joking, for any more any more questions. We, <laughs> we have we have run run out of time. Um, thank you very much Thanks, for coming Rob. along. Please spread the word about the Slacktivist Action Group. Um, not quite sure when the next one will be. So uh, if people are interested uh, listening on the podcast or whatever, then please uh, follow me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram if I I get my ass together and not too slack about it all. And uh, you know, good luck out there. We always recommend that people try and get involved with one thing before the next show. Given that we don't know when the next show is, you've got loads of time. <laughs> loads of time. Ladies and gentlemen, you can check out Shed of the Year, what, whatever you need to do. Is it, I mean, obviously, difficult, difficult times at the moment. Uh, they were saying, oh, there's a silver lining. They were saying silver lining, um, young people, because house prices, they reckon over the next year, will be going down up to 3%. So that... That is going to make all the difference. You, young people still still not going to be able to afford a deposit, but they'll be less far away from not being able to afford that deposit. I mean, imagine like a sale on Black Friday or whatever. It was like big sign up to three percent off. Oh, brilliant! These shoes, the shoes are reduced. They were five hundred quid. How much did you get them for? Four hundred and ninety quid. Bargain. The idea of that was to winkle out if there were any geeks in the audience who were going. That was only a two percent reduction. <laughs> But thank you all for coming. Please thank our three guests for tonight. David Lammy, Suzanne Moore, Josh Whittacombe. Good luck. See you next time. Thank you very much. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.